Welcome to the Post Talk Live podcast, where we host live salon gatherings for curious people around the world. Hosted by me, Susan McTavish Best. Today's salon is brought to you by Galileo. Galileo is a modern medical group operating across all 50 states, designed to improve the quality and affordability of care for diverse and complex populations. Galileo was founded by Tom Lee, MD, the physician and pioneer behind One Medical and Hippocrates. Now, on to the salon. For those who haven't met me, my name is Susan. I live here. I've met many of you, but I know there's some plus ones. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, welcome to the evening. First few housekeeping things, um, as I remember them, please take your plates back to the sink when you're done. All the food was homemade for you. The cocktails. Um, the cocktails. You know why I make food? Because I think you're all nicer if I cook for you. <laughs> so it's not because I'm like crazy about making food. I find it a little dull, <laughs> but I can do it easily. So, um, but I think by you seeing me make food for you, that you're all kinder a little bit to each other and a little bit more open-hearted. That's my feeling for that. So that's why I cook food. Um, anyway, housekeeping. Uh, please take your plates back if you could do that, if you could remember so I don't wake up to a huge mess. Um, but we have great people helping here tonight. Other housekeeping. Um, everything's on the record. I always forget to say this. Um, so in terms of like Twitter and handles, what, what, where would you like people to follow you? Jacob? By Jacob Ward is my Twitter handle. So yeah, feel okay. free, please. That, I appreciate is that the that. best place? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, tonight is part of a series that we're doing with Galileo, a healthcare company. This is uh, the second one. And they're trying to provide great healthcare uh, for everyone, even if they're like far out in rural areas, for veterans, you name it. So everyone deserves great healthcare. So, um, Many of you have met Tom, I know he's not here, Tom Lee, who is the founder of Galileo. He also started Hippocrates and One Medical. And tonight came about because we met last summer. Remember last summer, Hot Girl Summer that lasted for like two weeks? Um, so in that Hot Girl Summer, <laughs> the brief one, um, we were just kicking around ideas and he has this concern of People sort of um, just like, I don't know if it's reverting, you'll tell us, into binary thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's how this evening came about, though I now feel like we need to do a number of other salons with regards to binary thinking, mm -hmm. um, now having read your book. Uh, but, but to me, salons are about the gray area, really, right? There's a lot of people in here with all different um, beliefs and backgrounds and ages and I like to think that we can have conversations that um, with dignity and everyone can feel at home and the big gray area, not too shouty. Yeah. So, and I think we've maybe lost practice a little bit during COVID um, being with other people. So, right? Yeah, maybe like swiping right, swiping left. And um, anyway, <laughs> the tenderization of us all, very funny phrase. Um, anyway, that's how tonight came about. And Jake, I actually met through his mother, which I'm not sure if you can remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> um, his mom is sort of a powerhouse nurse, right? Yeah, that's mom right. Great. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So my yeah, my mom is a nurse throughout my childhood and then became an academic because she got tired of being screwed around by doctors. And she uh, became the founder of a nursing program at UC Davis and created, right. is trying to turn nurses into the academics and policymakers that are going to sort of reshape healthcare because with all due respect to the doctors here, we've had enough of doctors making those decisions and so nurses getting involved. And so she is, she's the, she's yeah, the Yeah, I used yeah. to be on the board of the Yale School of Nursing and I sat next to her to lunch and she was yeah. like, you need to meet my son. So yeah. anyway, that was a long time ago. Moms yeah. always yeah. know best. Yeah, always, always. Always. Moms always know best. Um, so let's see what other things. So Galileo, what are the, you, were you at Galileo Health? Galileo Health. Galileo Health. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say more about Galileo that we should know about? I feel like you covered it. Okay. <laughs> um, great. And I think that's it. I'm at Max Havish Best, and we're at Post Talk, is uh, the name of my company. Um, it's a little whistly on the sound. Yeah, I'm gonna, if I turn away from you, I think I'll get okay. it. Right. Um, anyway, I'll just talk super loud. We can take it off. Um, I always like to read out a line or so. Uh, so here we go from, from Jake's book. Called the loop. 
Everyone should buy it. You know, we need to support our authors. It's like having a baby. Oh my gosh. Um, and by the time you've had it, you're kind of sick of it, probably. Um, <laughs> totally. Hopefully not yes. so on a baby. Never again. Never not again. Not so on a baby. Not so on a baby. Um, anyway, uh, the, the most powerful and lasting effects of technology will take, will take at least a generation to play out. Think of it this way. We're guided by unconscious tendencies, but we rarely detect it when, it when they are analyzed and played upon. Now throw pattern recognition technologies and design guidance strategies at us and do it all in a society that doesn't have the long-term sensibilities in our policies and in our programming to recognize and regulate something that will determine the future of the species. And that's what this book is about. What prompted you to write this? God, it makes my palm sweat to have you written, read that out loud. Yeah, I, really I mean, that. I should have said Jake's bio is that he's covered science and tech forever. Um, he's now, you're now at NBC, but you've written for Al Jazeera, you're at Nat Geo, editor-in-chief of Popular Science. Yep. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. When was the first time you played on a computer? How old? Uh, let's see, played on a computer. I remember uh, being in a class where we were programming into tape, you know, tape decks. You actually put cassette tapes in, and that's where you would run oh. the programs. And I remember sitting there, and the kid next to me created this like stick figure karate thing where you could throw punches and kicks. And meanwhile, I was like trying to make a dot appear, and I couldn't do it. And so I remember having this early thought of like, I, I want this. I want to be part of this in some way, but I really had no way of doing that. So in fact, I was a history major. And, me too. Yeah, Any other history majors yeah, in here? Right? Very, oh, yes. Focused on that you? for the most part. Can I just say, just because it's the first time I can we give Susan one more big round of applause? Because yeah. this is really amazing thing. I've been, you know, I've, I've been a guest at these many times. You came to the Jennifer Downer one. I came to the Jennifer Downer one, which is an amazing one in San Francisco. There was, you know, and, and I've always been so astounded by Susan's generosity. And I think it's absolutely true that, like, you are all sitting on the seats that she sits in, like, in a bathrobe on a Sunday. You know? <laughs> like, it's amazing that she lets <laughs> us like be in here. like I said, I didn't here. leave here today. <laughs> yeah. So it's just amazing that, that she does this. And, and when she said, you know, would you like to come and do it? I was like, oh, my God. Well, thank so, you for flying across country. I really appreciate Guys, it. Guys, I got food poisoning a couple of days ago, and I was like in far northern California. I didn't think I was going to make it oh, here. Oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> anyway, so, so back to the question. Yeah, so, in this, so the, the reason that I wrote this book was I basically, I've, I've been very lucky in my life. And one of the things that I, that I was luckiest with was I got paired up back in 2016 um, with a producer named Carl Biker, um, who called me up, and he's like, I want to do this. PBS series about how human beings make decisions. And I know we don't know each other. And typically when you when you do this kind of thing, I'm sure many of you are in, in television. So you usually have like a quick, at the time it was Skype conversation where they're just trying to figure out like, can he put words together and does he look nice and blah, blah, blah. In this case, he was like, can I come spend time with you? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, very on TV. Like. Very on TV. And he, <laughs> and he said, I want to spend as much time as you'll give me because this is my life's work. It's really important. And I want to spend time together. So I was like, okay. And I was in a sort of clarity place in my life. And I said, why don't you fly out to Oakland where I live and I'm going to walk you around this cemetery. And because and, I knew that if he thought, it, there are some people who think walking around cemeteries is cool and there's some people who don't. And I knew that if he did, we'd get along and whatever. We walk around <laughs> and he just breaks it down for me. He's basically like, you know, the past 60 years of, of behavioral science has basically shown that we're making our decisions using unconscious instincts. And you and I are going to go around the world and meet all the top thinkers in that world, in that field, and you're going to be the guinea pig, and you're going to learn that about that on camera. And so, you know, it was just the most extraordinary experience. So I spent three years uh, going around the world, meeting all of these people, and being shown how the vast majority of the decisions that I make, and it turns out probably most humans make, are based on ancient circuitry that we have no control over. It's the system that right now, if we were sitting here and a snake came into the room, we would all be on our feet and out the fucking door and there'd be no coordination necessary. My face fast would thinking. catch it, fast thinking. I'd catch the snake, I would show you the face of horror, you would show it to somebody else and we'd be on our feet and go. And that system, that ancient system is what keeps us alive. And Daniel Kahneman had written this book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which many of you I'm sure know. He's sort of the star of that, of that PBS series. And by virtue of that, at the same time, I was also beginning a job at NBC and had been working at Al Jazeera reporting on technology. And I, I live in, in California where everybody's deploying AI on everything. And I started to realize, well, wait a minute. OK, you have these pattern-based systems of instinctive decision-making 
that govern the vast majority of our lives. And one of the big lessons of this PBS show is that we are not, not only are we not conscious of those decisions, we're allergic to thinking of ourselves as being in the thrall of decision-making beyond our control. We do not like being told that we are, you know, beyond our, our, our own self-guidance systems, that we are in the thrall of something. And so I suddenly realized, well, wait a minute, there are all these companies deploying AI to look at past behavior, make predictions about what we're going to do next. And I began just meeting company after company that are greenlighting scripts using AI, uh, diagnosing patients using AI, um, uh, you know, trying to find the proper marketing message, uh, you know, uh, with AI. I was talking to Facebook, which at the time had pioneered um, what is called action marketing, where they guarantee you not just a certain number of eyeballs will look at the ad, they guarantee you that a certain number of people will do the thing you want the ad to do, and they will only charge you on the basis of that. And that's all AI-driven. And I just was like, oh, fuck, there's something bad going on here. Like, if these two things go together, what's going to happen? And I already knew from my own experience that, you know, I can't find my way around Oakland where I live if I don't use Google Maps, right? I have that thing on the dash all the time. And if we are all going to use these AI-driven systems to help us make decisions, and they're going to be great, they're going to be efficient, it's going to feel good, I just realized, like, the lesson of that PBS show was it feels good to follow instincts and not have to make a higher conscious well, choice. Well, generally, we don't like, a lot of people don't like making decisions. No, right? No. I mean, the, so the, the whole thinking fast and slow thing. Yeah, can you tell us what slow thinking is? Yeah, let's is. break that down for a second. So, so thinking, thinking fast and slow is essentially there is an ancient decision-making system, the, the fast thinking system that we have probably in common with our primate and monkey cousins. And they think as a result it's probably about 30 million years old. And it is the snake detection system. It detects strangers and fire and calories, and it's our you know, quick way of making choices. And then about 70,000 years ago, very recently in evolutionary terms, we sort of looked around from where we were all sitting on what is now Africa and said, well, wait, what is, what is life beyond us? And what, do I ha what happens when we die? And blah, 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 blah. You know, that higher curiosity, something, got us to stand up and explore the rest of the planet and, and made us the people we are today. That higher cognitive functioning is amazing. It's our cautious, creative, rational thing. It allows us to make beautiful carpets and sit together and be polite and, you know, have this incredible variety of people in front of us and no one here is going to get into a fight tonight. You know, like, our, our higher functions are so extraordinary. Thoughtful. Thoughtful. Our cautious, creative, thoughtful selves. The problem is, and this is what all of the research has shown, is that while we like to think we're using our slow-thinking, creative, cautious, rational, modern brain most of the time, we actually are using the snake detection system most of the time, including in how we vote, including in how we uh, make really important decisions about our finances, and increasingly, because companies more and more know this, they are using that to their advantage against us. And so the, the, the breaking the brain into those two categories was for me a totally life-changing thing. And I suddenly became just sort of convinced that I had to try to articulate that. Lots of people have, but for me, AI was a new thing. We haven't connected that to yet. Apparently, well, I guess, right, with using technology, our attention span is like shriveled up to that of a gnat. Yes. How, um, how is that affecting our decision-making in terms of AI? Yeah, well, so for me, I mean, one thing that I have bumped into over and over again is, um, you know, nobody wants to, like, it is way easier making money selling to your snake detection system than it is selling to your cautious, creative, reasonable self. Well, it takes longer. It takes it longer. Money. Why yeah. would anyone want to engage with that? Instead, they want to hit you with the thing that's going to hit you fast. And so... For, for me, you know, I look at, you know, the, the lack of attention span, you know, as something that is both inherent to us, but is also something that companies are going to be incentivized to keep driving and driving and driving. And so I'm, I, you know, I've been uh, looking, like for me, there's a sort of spectrum of bad uses of AI. And at the far end for me is a category called social casino companies. Mm. So these are companies that have created a simulator of a casino experience, slot machines, blackjack, poker, whatever. They've added a social networking component. You can video chat, form clubs, there's tournaments. 
And they use Facebook and Google to some extent to find people that are going to fall for that as hard as possible. Are you penalized if you don't use it daily? So you are, yes, you're absolutely penalized if you don't use it daily. You're also... Um, Which is similar in all games. Right? Absolutely. Right. You're, you're held back also from the most satisfying, itch-scratching uh, stuff unless you pay to play. Mm -hmm. Now, you cannot win money. You cannot win real money back from these games. They are the definition of a loser's game. And yet, the people that play are losing their life savings. So I've, I spoke to more than two dozen people who'd lost anywhere from $20,000 to $500,000 on these games. And there's a new class action lawsuit that just settled with one of the companies that makes this stuff for about $150 million because they had about 10,000 people, each of whom had lost at least five digits to these things. And these are grandmas. These are not rich people. These are random, lonely people with nothing to do. So the other day I was talking to a guy at a party not a party as cool as this, but a party. Uh, and, That's what I like to yeah, hear. I mean, come on. And this this guy mentioned to me. He said, "Oh yeah, I used to work on that. I used to I used to do consulting at Facebook for for marketing those games." And I was like, "Oh, really? Uh, huh? How did you find the people that were most susceptible to this?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, it's easy. He's like, we go for low GPA, and then we would geofence them by socioeconomic area. Um, you know, so they're specifically targeting people that have lower education." And I was talking to one of the lawyers, uh, and he said, oh, yeah, distressed lines of credit is the other thing they cross-reference it with, right? So to me, I was like, well, wait a minute. Okay. So, so for me, I think there was a tendency in tech to blame people for not being educated enough. We need to educate ourselves better and blah, 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 you know, take responsible for ourselves. But I think that what you're describing is, is being pushed in a very concerted way by companies and in a totally unregulated way. I was about to say, what's yeah. going on in D.C. with regards to this? You must be covering this. Yeah, in so I, I am, I am, I mean, I think we've come a long way from how do you make money, Mr. Zuckerberg, right? Which was, which was the line of questioning the first time he went before Congress, right? And that was, that didn't go so well. Um, well, Senator, we sell ads, right? Um, this time, we have some really smart young congressional staffers who are, um, beginning to, to pass some really smart thinking to the people they work for. I will say the, the vast majority of the top thinkers in this stuff are women. And it's very cool to see how women are really poised to be the sort of like the top policymakers around this stuff. I, I find myself very encouraged by that. Unfortunately, I think one of the things that, we're work, that is working against us is that we don't as a country like, again, being told we're in the thrall of something beyond our control. So. Right now, in 31 states, it's legal to bet on sports. It's, been, it's being rapidly legalized across the country. Um, and Very popular in the UK. Hugely, right? And there's a huge problem in the UK, right? You know all that. So the... the Can you... Oh, um, maybe there's the, the, uh, it, is, it is a matter of a, sort road. of the American mythology that we are in control of ourselves. And so it took 30 years for gambling addiction to become part of the DSM-5, the standards manual for, for psychotherapists, because we just don't like the idea that it's anything beyond impulse control. We like to think we're in, in control of ourselves. And so on the, on the one hand, I think you've got these very smart people thinking about, we need to make AI more transparent and explainable, which is a big problem. Um, we, they have people talking about wanting to regulate um, you know, X, Y, and Z. But the thing that I think we need to start thinking about is, you know. There is, so in Canada, for instance, there is a, it's a state-run thing, uh, uh, gambling. If you're in a casino, it's, a, it's all regulated by the state and the money goes up through the state. It's, a, it's like buying booze in Washington State. And they, in fact, have a system where if somebody loses themselves and begins spending more than they can, the algorithm can tell. Like, just the same algorithm that FanDuel and DraftKings and those guys are using to, to target the whales in Canada, they can, they can spot that, and they turn that person off on the casino floor. It shuts off their card and says, oh, this person's not in control of themselves, right? So I don't know about you guys. When I doom scroll TikTok for two plus hours, eventually <laughs> it starts saying, you're going too fast. It hits me with a little banner. Does anybody it else does? get this? No. Yeah, oh, yeah, does anybody else get this? Oh, you're going too yeah. fast? <laughs> I mean, I, this is one reason that I'm interested my in this stuff is I'm super addicted. My car tells me I should take a rest. <laughs> it's, so, so you're going. And then has anybody, has literally nobody ever seen that? Or has, Nobody, so she or has anybody yeah, seen the, seen the video that pops up that says, you've been watching a little too long, maybe you want to go yeah. to bed? 
You have a yeah, well, I do. I do. I do. Maddie. And I'm grateful that, tick, that somebody at TikTok was like, well, we got enough out of him today. You know, we got him to, you know, he, we rung him out. We could send him to bed so he could do it again tomorrow. Right? The companies have the data. They know about this. And I want to just say, this is just one chunk of the, of the loop. This is the most predatory portion of it, but it's the one for me that helps me understand how, like, what the stakes are. And that if we are going to regulate this stuff, we have to come to grips with how out of control we are most of the time. And I don't think regulation Do you think in D.C., as younger people are coming up through, their, um, through Congress, they're, they're parents? So maybe they'll have a little bit more at stake, you know? I hope so. I, th I definitely think that the, the outrage that uh, all lawmakers seem to feel about that one thing that Francis Haugen, the, the Facebook whistleblower, brought forth about the damage that was being done to the self-esteem of, of young women uh, through Instagram, that made a splash. It really landed on Well, it's on easy to understand right? for people, that's right? right? I that's mean, right. That's right. You know, I, I've, one parallel that I, I think of is... is um, you know, so uh, for years, it was the case that a small number of people every year uh, were, children specifically, every year were um, dying in their driveways. And they were being run over by their parents. And there's only like, it was like, it's anywhere from like 30 to 60 a year. It's an incredibly small number of kids by any <coughs> public health standard. But this one dad... Who, who, you know, did this, right? The most fucking horrible thing you can imagine as a parent. Went before lawmakers and said, something's got to be done. This can be solved. How do we solve this? And it is now, if you buy a new car in the United States, it is standard that it comes with a backup camera. They all come with backup cameras, right? And, uh, you know, those is backup... Is that how they came about? Yes. Wow, they're so great, yes. right? I mean, it's you drive so an old great. car. It's totally. Like... And, it, and it adds money to the sticker yeah. price. It adds several hundred dollars to the sticker price of that car. You are paying for that, right? And the car companies are paying for that. And we as a, you know, a, a, like bipartisan legislation came out that made that a rule. You know, to me, I think we can agree on some values that are being violated, even when they only affect either a small number of people or a certain number of people that we might look down on, right, because they are in the thrall of addiction, or, you know, and I think, all, by the way, I think all of us are going to be implicated at some point in, in offloading our decision-making to an automated system. I literally could not have made my way here tonight without Google Maps, right? So we're all going to do this more and more, and there needs to be some way to sort of say, what values of ours do we need to protect, even though it will make less money, even though it will be a kind of pain in the ass. Do you think COVID's kind of paused people on that, though? Because people have generally been spending more time yes. in nature. Yes. Um, oh, that's and, a, and a little, nature. you know, a little less time on their on their phone. I mean, some people have been sitting at home, but a lot of other people have been getting fresh air. And I like that idea. I, I know it's I, cheery. I, right? I like that idea. <laughs> I I wish that were true. That was true in my household. I, I'm glad. I'm sure it was true for a number of people, but. You know, overall, face, but overall, that's not the case. And, the, and those technology companies have made more money than ever before. Yeah. This was the banner. This was the banner year for right. for them. So anybody in the attention economy was killing it during the pandemic. Who's writing the code these days? I mean, like five or six years ago, I did a salon with Emily Chang at Bloomberg on Brotopia. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not the code's not just being written in Silicon Valley anymore. New York is becoming a is a tech sure. hub. Miami, et cetera. Yeah. So who's writing it these days? You know, I I it is still so. If you're a young startup, you're still bless you. You're still um, the the sort of the risk aversion of a young startup is is still the case that they want to hire people mm -hmm. right out of you know Stanford, Wharton. You know, they they don't want to take a gamble on new people a lot of the time. And so unfortunately, I think we're still in a place where uh, as, as much as diversity and equity has become a watchword, and, I, and I, I'm really glad it has, and it's fashionable to talk about, and that's good. It hasn't unfortunately changed the people making it, and not fundamentally yet. And for me, when I speak to, you know, I've, I, I was speaking to a guy once who, who had been at a company that was doing automated loan decision making. So basically, it, they were writing tiny loans for individuals that you could never profitably review with a human. You couldn't pay a human to look at each $500 loan or whatever it is. So they were using AI 
to just quickly make these decisions. And, and the AI is only as smart as the code that was written. Only as smart as the code that was written. And AI so, doesn't make the world better, right? You know, no, that's right. Better, so. That's right. And in this case, the guy, so I was talking to a guy who'd been on that team, and I had heard that they, that he and his team had tried to get on the right side of history by taking out a bunch of data that had been in the past associated with redlining and racism, you know, take out things like your last name, take out things like your zip code, the things that people had used in the past. And I reached him and he was very interesting. He said, uh, uh, we may have experimented with that at one point, yes. But if we actually, but we have to take the world as it comes, essentially. And he said um, that the racial disparities in loan making are just reality. <laughs> And we as a company have only the responsibility to our shareholders to try to just, we just got to move forward with what we got. And if we were to put our finger, our thumb on the scale and try to write past inequities, it would be a betrayal of our shareholders and all this various stuff. It was the libertarian thing, which is the world is what we make of it and we just have to make the most There's profitable Canadians company. Canadians and their nannies. <laughs> you know, I know. So to me, I think that there is a very tidy bifurcation right now between the people who make the code and I off, my standard... Thing at NBC is to ask the people who make the code, you've invented a new product that requires a new set of ethics. Should you also be responsible for inventing a new set of ethics? And they always say, no. Someone else is going to do that. Policymakers, somebody else. You know, it's not my job. I'm just making this stuff. And I think that the bifurcation of that from what these very brave policymakers and very smart, overlooked academics are thinking about, that wor those, wor those guys are so such worlds apart. And I, I hope we can somehow bring them all mm. Yeah. Um, as you're out there reporting across the country, are, are you seeing anything in schools in terms of helping children sort of navigate this and navigate yeah. navigating being able to make decisions? It's so interesting, on right? Their own? Yeah, it's so interesting to see. I mean, I think there is such a, a, a clear desire on the part of parents everywhere to figure this out because they are well, just it's a little bit like distracted driving 15 years ago, right? Right. Everyone wants Which, to, to take yeah. a stand on it, get ready, and the, the so. Unfortunately, I, I have not seen, I mean, because public education has been so bankrupted in part, but even at the private school where my child is going, you know, I and a group of parents, we're trying right now to come up with this pledge that, that we are, as a community are going to create that we won't give our kids a smartphone until high school. Oh my gosh, those must be noisy meetings. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. I mean, And you it's know, so interesting because everyone- Everyone's a special case. Totally, yeah. everyone's a special case. Exactly, that's the thing. It's it's it's. And I would say, you know, the vast majority of people, really only about three families have actually said no. Everybody else is interested in some form. But Where they, do you live, Berkeley, Oakland? Oakland. I mean, exactly. I mean, I'm like the classic, <laughs> the classic place for this. You yeah. know, we're going to do kombucha but lessons instead. But we always say it happens, yeah. Yeah. it happens 20 years first in California, but we really mean Berkeley. That's right. Yeah. So, so, and having that conversation with these, with these other parents is so complicated because it makes you address your own worries about it. You're, you, you realize how little you actually know about what's going on with your kid. Right. Like it's deeply distressing. Kids? Eight and ten. Eight and ten. You yeah. know? And, you know how to use a phone. And, and we have come to the place of no commercial social media. We've come to the place of let's not have a personal open smartphone device at school. You can have one that can call and text. There's no browser, please. And, you know, there's a couple of other sort of rules we're playing around with. But, like, you know, the fact that we are having to make that up as we go, while the yeah. smartest people in the world are working at multi-billion dollar companies, trying to get our kids into the pipeline now, mm -hmm. you know, like this mysterious, making the age of adulthood online 13, which is somehow what how Instagram now defines it, is so crazy to me, you know? So, so there isn't a good pushing back yet that we have formalized mm -hmm. in any real way, but I know everyone's spirit is there. I think we can all feel it as we can with backup cameras, as we can with Instagram and 13-year-old mm -hmm. girls, all of that. Are you seeing any companies scale back a little? Yeah, I, 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 I don't think I have. I mean, I, I, I'd be so curious. Maddie is here from Bloomberg tonight, maybe, and she, maybe after this she can tell us whether she's bumped into anyone. But like, I don't see people leaving money on the table. Okay. Instead, they're doing the, the rituals. Remember, we did that salon on rituals, bringing rituals into the corporate well, tell office. Tell me about that. What? Yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Work is a religion. Yeah. yeah. Wellness, right? Yeah. Wellness. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, there's a, there is a principle that I thought was so interesting. So I was talking to a guy who's a federal judge, and he was talking about how you could make entering a guilty or not guilty plea vastly more efficient. Uh, you could make it a swipe left or right.
kind of thing. And he said, but we have a principle in, there's a, there's a law, a legal principle called weak perfection, where a system is built intentionally inefficient to force you to use your slow thinking brain. So we make you come into court and talk to the judge. We make you do multiple appearances. You have to fill out paperwork. There's all this stuff you got to do to enter a guilty or not guilty plea because you will never get a second chance to make that plea, and it's going to change your life. So we, so we don't want to make it as efficient as it could be. And I think I would like to see, and I've been trying to talk to companies about this, but I, I don't hear a lot of people taking me, me up on it, you know, the idea that you can leave some inefficiency there because that inefficiency might be good for us, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think we're, you know, we can't even agree that gambling shouldn't be on your phone, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, in, in, in 2022, uh, uh, when we talk about sports gambling, I mean, this is just how sick it all is and how the profit motive is so messed up. Um, uh, in, Col in the state of Colorado, every month right now, Gamblers are spending between 11 million and 13 million dollars a month. And guess the guess the sport? Fucking Russian ping pong. Yeah. I was Russian gonna say that's not very much money. Oh, you know, okay. It's not that much money. You know why? It's, it's on at 3 a.m. It's on at 3 a.m. when you're when you're when you're up all night, right? Um, the 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 Super Bowl, um, New York State seems to have collected over seven billion. Is it an billion Olympic sport dollars. now, ping pong? Yeah, Chinese would maybe be a better game to watch, but I guess they can't get that on FanDuel. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like they, like so. People are not uh, being restrained. It I feels see. to me. Yeah. What, yeah. what are the long-term effects? Do you think, in terms of us as an individual trying to make decisions and also just get on with each other? Yeah. So there's a there's a part of the book um, in which I, I got to spend time with this woman Jacqueline, who had just broken up with her high school ah, sweetheart. Co-parent. Yeah, co-parenter, co-parenter. Mm, so, so she and her ex have a son together and they like so many co-parents were really really struggling with with being a joint custody household and it turns out that if you are in any one of i think it's like 20 or 30 family courts across the country and you're in this position where you keep coming back in front of the judge because you can't get along eventually the judge will order you to communicate through this app called co-parenter what co-parenter does is it's a text has anyone used it yeah has anybody used that Oh yeah, it's so interesting. So, so not yet. yeah, not yet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You check me. Check, check a couple years from now. So, uh, when you text and you write, "I'll never give you another dime, you lying sack of right," it will interrupt you and say, "Are you sure you want to say this?" Because ten thousand, because it's just pattern recognition. It turns out that the patterns of humans fighting is incredibly predictable. And so they know exactly what's gonna, what, what is coming up next. In the same vein, if you say, okay, I'll pick him up from karate, but next time you gotta pick, it'll say, it looks like the two of you are about to arrive at a weekly agreement. Would you like to use this language, which all these other people have used, to contract out this arrangement? Because human- come on, weary parents, right? You're like, fine. Yeah, fine, yeah, fine. Like, I got a lot of other stuff. So here's the thing, Jacqueline says that it's great it is fantastic. She says she's getting along with this guy like she's never gotten along before. We don't have any unnecessary fights. It's awesome. And she says, and the, and the son, you know, all the research shows that co-parenting households, joint custody households are vastly better for the kids. So it's really good that this kid is getting both of his parents by virtue of this. Cut to two generations from now, right? That kid will have grown up only in a world in which robot mediation has made his relationships possible. So will he know? But he might have been in the court system, right? Well, but okay. this is the thing. But exactly. then the court That's, system's all automated. But he, but he might, like, like, I honestly don't know how I feel about this. Because on the one hand, he's enjoying the benefits of being together with his parents. On the other hand, will he know how to talk to difficult people in his life, right? I have this, like, half-baked sitcom uh, idea. If anybody's in the sitcom business, I'm happy to talk about it with you. About, like, we've all become dependent on those systems. Being like, tell your wife she looks great today. And, oh, yeah. Ask your coworker how his, co his weekend was. And then it breaks, and then nobody knows how to talk to each other, right? And you do, like, that's your thing. So that, that thing is very plausible. And I, and I think that we are going to see enormous benefit in the short term, as the users of Co-Parenter have. And then I, but I don't think we are in any way built as a society to think couple generations ahead to what it's going to be like to have been raised in a, in a world where like a Google Maps of relationships takes care of that for you. Questions? Oh. George? 
Uh, much has been made of the relationship between AI and partisanship. Mm. And, you know, how in our politics now, we have you know, entire tribes who are walled off from each other, and AI is kind of building those walls. Mm. I'm curious how you see a solution to the consumer for that, and how do we resolve this, given, you know, it seems like people are beyond the point of no return in some cases. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. So, so uh, the the... I mean, I think the perverse incentives of the attention economy make it such that basically, you know, when we fight across partisan lines, uh, the company, the platforms on which we do the fighting benefit. And so, you know, when Frances Haugen was leaking this stuff, one of the things that she leaked, we were part of the consortium at NBC that saw the documents. One of the documents was describing research that showed that um, in Europe, far-right politicians were, were changing their public policy positions so that they would do better on Facebook, right? So, so literally, the the tail wagging the dog. They were, they were, they were the things that would look better posted. You know, would get them more attention posted. Became their policy positions uh, in public. And so, I think the first thing we have to do is create a cost for for our attention. And other smarter people than me have thought about this before. But it is, you know, one one phrase that is used a lot is that it is a, you know, we should think of it as an extractive industry. It should in some way be taxed, or it should in some way cost people to drag us into, um, you know, fights that we never meant to get into. Like that, that and I don't know how that would work, but right now there's no, you know, there's no friction for the companies that, that are into that. Now, I have bumped into a couple of really interesting projects that, that I think could sort of change things a little bit. So one of them is a guy um, named Colin McGill, who just basically out of the goodness of, of his heart created this thing called Polis. And it is a, a way of, it, it essentially tricks people on social media into filling out a survey about how much they agree or disagree with certain propositions. And out of that, it creates an automated white paper that gets handed up to their, typically their elected officials. Um, so Taiwan has adopted this system um, for something called Virtual Taiwan, V-Taiwan it's called. And, and one of the many ways that they use it is there's this incredible talk show that unfortunately um, uh, Chinese censors have gotten uh, uh, made it very difficult to find, but is this fantastic thing called Talk to Taiwan, where the host is given this white paper of extremely specific policy feelings on the part of the audience to, with which to grill the elected official. And, um, and the, so there's one episode where he's grilling the mayor of Taiwan and just destroys him like as someone who is in the business of trying to do like good confrontational inquisitive interviews, like this guy wrecks this guest. It's incredible. And, and I think that there are ways, and again, there are ways, there are automated ways to gather up sentiment and figure it out and bring us together. But nobody's making money off that. Nobody's making money off, you know, automated white papers. Um, you know, this, this guy, Colin McGill, his whole purpose was to say, to, to basically make it so that another Brexit wouldn't happen. He was like, Brexit was a result of elected officials pretending that they knew what their constituency wanted and benefiting from the attention economy fighting around it. And he wanted a way of cutting through that. So I, I, think, there's a, I think there are ways to do that. But again, I don't think that there's going to be a sort of self-regulatory or money-making way to do that. I think it's going to have to probably come from somewhere else. That's my mm. feeling. Other questions? Yes. Uh, it's interesting what you're saying. So I hear short term, long term. I hear China, and for me, China. I mean, everybody hates China, but the Chinese they limit you to how many hours you can play on their TikTok, yes. your game. Yes. Yes. Is that that's pretty new, it right? It is. In the last year. They, they how is that working out? It seems like it's working out. In my life's Chinese. I can tell you, it's working out at home. Uh. <laughs> Tricky for me is that they stopped like ants, Alibaba's uh, mm. lending app, right. so people don't start lending and borrowing too much money. And uh, they think long term. Yeah. They've taken over the world. They convinced us to take all the technology there. We, we're smart enough to just give them everything. Yeah. And they've copied it. They're doing it better than us. Yeah. Even though they're not a democracy, it seems they're doing what's good for their people. 
Mm. It is, I'm so grateful to you for bringing this up. I think this is absolutely, I feel like it's so smart and, and confusing. I feel the same wow, way. Wow, that's like a it's, great thing to say at a lot, salon. I'm confused. It's so confusing. Yes, it is so confusing. This is the first time you've ever come. Thank you. So, so I absolutely agree with you because I find myself looking at the book that I've written and the lessons that I've drawn from the 10 years I was thinking about this stuff, and I can see if, if you took me out of context and put me in front of a central party functionary, it could be that guy's talking points. Like, I totally recognize that because it's true. I'm thinking about, you know, the effect on our people over coming generations and we should limit, you know, uh, the spread of, of bad behavior. And I mean, I'm, I'm literally saying those kinds of things. And so, so I, I totally understand that. I, I think that, you know, China... Right, so China has this social credit system, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, right? If you misbehave online, you have to give over your internet credit, your, your, like your social media credentials to the government, essentially, these days, to participate in public life. And if you misbehave, you type about Tiananmen or whatever, you can't sit on the quiet car, and then you can't get a plane ticket, and soon you can't take out a loan for a house. Um, they also, now 140 million people there are on a central bank digital currency, a Chinese crypto, so suddenly those people who've given over the, all of their money to that system are in the position where if the government doesn't like what they're saying, they can literally just wipe out the value of their money, right? They, nobody's doing that yet, but that's coming. I mean, that's not far off. So, so I, I, was, I was talking to a, a guy uh, at a company called Anduril, which makes uh, basically surveillance and military stuff and sells it to militaries, US military and allied militaries around the world. And he was one of these guys that I asked, you know, you've invented these systems that require new ethics, why haven't you invented the ethics to go with them? And he was like, it's not my problem. And one of the things that... When we they get started and then you're kind of a little too far along. Yes, right? it's all classified I mean, I all the way. When we and, did it with Brotoby, like with Twitter, it's like then you're a little bit too far yeah, along. Yeah, like, toothpaste ah, out. The, like I can't tell you, I feel like once a yeah, day someone says to me, toothpaste out. pretty outspoken about that. I think, yes, right? I think that's right. Having female engineers, he's had them. That's right. And so the the... One of the things that he talked about, you know, and, and a lot of the guys that I interview, and they're almost always guys, interview is, you know, they talk about China and say, um, you know, we have to do the thing we're doing so we can compete with China because um, China, you know, for instance, has this thing called the Smart Cities Program, now called the Safe Cities Program. They've exported to 100 world capitals. They're these all-seeing surveillance systems. Well, they tried that up in Toronto too, actually, and then that 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 didn't work out so well because actually the Torontonians are like, "Fuck it, yeah, I don't no. want you to know when I'm walking on the pavement." That's right. right. That's Google right. did that up there. That's right. Google did that. Yeah. In 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 the, China has exported a s system to like, if you go to Quito, Ecuador, or Karachi, Pakistan, mm -hmm. or Lagos, Nigeria, you'll be in a Chinese-made, all-knowing surveillance system, facial recognition tied to the subway card, everything, right? Mm -hmm. And I was, and he was saying, we can't play into that. We have to, you know, we need to create an alternative American export with our values built into it that can, that, that the world can use. And I was like, okay, shouldn't that kind of be your job? Like, shouldn't you be figuring that out? You know, like, and, and I, I just think that for some reason, the growth is good at any cost mindset that has driven the development of American technology for so long I don't think we need, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm totally at a loss as to how to really fully answer your question. I hope you're complimented by that because I, I mean it as a compliment. I don't know the answer to this question. I don't want to live in a world in which we are monitored by the state, but I also don't want to live in a world in which people with a predilection for gambling are up at 3 a.m. gambling on Russian yeah. ping pong. And there's somewhere in between there that we can figure out. We're but smart is this enough so much different that. now than maybe 100 years ago on the, on the gambling I mean, I don't really know. Yeah, maybe. I just think, I mean, right now, the, the problem is they're deploying AI. Drinking, gambling, all these sim things, right? Yeah, but now the, the gambling apps um, are are subdividing the game by, you know, will Clay Thompson, Clay Thomas, you know, uh, drop, you know, will he make any of his shots with his left hand? Uh, what is the color of the so, Gatorade okay, that be dropped on the coach? Like they're, you know, the AI is customizing everything to make it perfectly right for right. you. Um, Let's hear some positive. AI. I know I'm a bummer, okay. you guys. No, no, Make no, no, it, no. please, please. Um, yeah. this, let's, this, this, sorry. This is maybe not a positive AI question. <laughs> um, I, I was just, as you're talking, I'm thinking that we're a lot more than 
just hedonist automatic decision making, right? And like many in many areas of our lives, we use reflective thinking. It's part of what being human is. So for learning, for example, requires a lot of deliberate conscious thought. And I have a number of friends in the AI who would argue that AI is not nearly as intelligent as we think it is. No. And, it's, and it is very flawed in many Zero, ways. one, one, zero. Yeah. I mean, so, it's, it literally is binary. Yeah, I mean, it can't do a lot of things. And there's right. some people who argue very, and I don't have enough knowledge to know if they're right or not, but they argue for the limits of AI. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, what do you think about that? So I, I, I uh, so you're absolutely correct. And they are absolutely correct that it is an incredibly stupid system masquerading as an incredibly intelligent looking system. So if you were to give AI a room full of dogs and cows and you showed it some examples of dogs and cows and then you sicked it on the thing, it would basically find the dumbest, quickest way to determine the difference between them. It would say, some of these cows are big. Oh, these things are big. Oh, these ones are panting or whatever. You know, they would just figure out the barest minimum information it needs to reliably distinguish between the two. The problem with human beings is that we, uh, you know, there's a whole field of anthropomorphism that looks at why it is that we attribute more sophistication to systems we don't understand than they deserve. And so one of the big problems we have is that we look at something like a frickin' cow and dog distinguisher that is also being used to recommend you movies and political positions and whatever else, and we think, oh, this thing is a dog and cow expert. And so I've been, I'm sure many of you have been in the same discussion recently where it just feels like the curriculum in schools needs to maybe veer a little bit away or you know, maybe bring in some new things. And for me, one of those things is like compound interest. We should be still learning that real early. And the other one is the difference between correlation and causation. That we should just learn just because it's just because we know that this is most likely a dog and this is most likely a cow doesn't mean that that system can tell you anything else useful about either of those things. Yeah, I can't tell the difference between causation and correlation. Yeah, that's right too. That's right. And so for me, it's it's. I think we can, if we can become a little smarter about this stuff. Unfortunately, right now, again, it's you know people aren't sort of making money off of it, you know, doing that. But but I like to think that as this stuff becomes a little clearer to us and as we become more sensitive to our own vulnerabilities, I think we'll be able to push back against some of this stuff. Yeah, what are some things we can do in here to make our day-to-day -day lives a little, um, involve more decisions, more gray area, yeah. other than coming here, hosting your own salon, <laughs> yeah. being curious, yeah. I love, I love your thing of, I'm going to cook because people are going to be nicer to one another. Absolutely, it's, like a, it's, like a, it's a gift from my heart. It's, and it's honestly like one. I'm slipping around. Oh, 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 I meant to tell you this, you guys. So if anyone's having the rhubarb cocktail, it's pink. I carried that rhubarb all the way back from California yesterday in the red eye. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so think it's me, really true, though. The, I mean. And the fact that you did that is the ultimate example of the kind of thing that hopefully we can all do a little bit more of, which is doing the right thing is not going to feel immediately good. Even though there's so many companies that are gonna try and convince you to do the thing that feels good. And and the fact that you had to carry that freaking thing on the red eye and that you worked your brains out such that you had to change clothes before we spoke, you know what I'm saying? Like the the that you were like this work is necessary because then the, the effect is gonna be so strong is a thing that I think we hopefully can do more and more of in our Mm, I think this is a really great place to end, actually. We can, okay, you have a question. <laughs> no, no, just, just ending on the positive yeah. note. Yeah. Because um, I'm a computer scientist, so mm. there exists actually relatively new technology known as privacy-preserving AI. That What's that? So it's, so the idea is um, kind of, you can, um, I don't know how to, I mean, it takes a long time to, to okay. talk about it, but it's, it's also known as um, homomorphic encryption machine learning over big data could be medical data or any other data that you like. So there is good news is getting more active and active maybe in its few years. Yeah. So this is good news. I, want I think so too. Yeah. I would also just say, I mean, so like if you think about where we have come from and where we are, I mean, not putting aside the fact that like a thousand years ago life was like horrific and the mm -hmm. fact that we all get to sit here and like 
drink and be comfy and wear warm clothes and so forth is incredible. You know, like we're in great shape, just broadly speaking. But then also, I mean, the fact that we're not all sitting here smoking right now right. is because of the law and lawsuits. I know that lawyers get a bad rap for being, you know, frivolous and whatever. But suing the bejesus out of cigarette companies is how we are all not dying of lung cancer right now. You know, there are, we have, I was interviewing a guy who had been one of the architects of the Belfast Accords that ended the violence in, in Northern Ireland. And he said that it took two years for them to agree, for all the participants to agree where they would sit at the table to start the conversation. Oh, gosh. And I just thought, and I was, and I was, you know, I sort of was like, I kind of was like, and he, and he said, yeah, I know that sounds silly, but the truth of the matter is, as long as we're talking, as long as they were talking, they weren't killing each other, and and we we did that, and then we did the next thing, and eventually we got there. And so for me, I think we are capable of great change. We're capable of this kind of stuff. We can do it. Um, I think we're just right now in a really raw place where we're all smoking and we don't know it, <laughs> you know, right. and that's. And the next phase, I think, we're going to sharpen up uh, as a society and as individuals. And I think probably as an individual, right, in terms of decision making, um, just spending more time with people and talking to them, yes. right? Um, debating, disagreeing, being okay with disagreeing. Um, yeah. Keeping it off the metaverse, maybe. Right. Keeping it off yeah. the metaverse. Yeah, right. um, but thank you so much, Jake. Thank uh, you so much, Susan. Really appreciate it. that many questions, but if you have questions, Jake, you can go to my office. Sure. Do I'll be around. Come talk to me. Office time fun. back there. Yeah, sure. Um, Nikki's going to continue to DJ for us. Might turn into a dance party. I'm suddenly feeling it. Um, and there's ice cream and dessert. And talk to people you don't know. I feel like we kept that conversation pretty brief tonight. Yeah, but thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Post Hoc Digital Salon with Susan McTavish-Best. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a great review. It really does make a difference. If you don't already, please make sure to follow us on social media. That's at McTavish-Best on both Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for attending our Digital Salon.